Hi, everyone, and welcome to an episode of Spartan Speak. I am Graham Couch of the Lansing State Journal, alongside Chris Solari of the Detroit Free Press. Spartan Speak, of course, is a product of the USA Today Network, LSJ, and the Freep, and we are glad to have you with us. Um, no Phil friend, and uh, it may just be me and Chris more often for a while. So, and we're going to miss Phil if we if that does come to fruition, no doubt. And so, if you are upset by that, like we are, uh, you should just tweet get- Phil really quickly before Twitter goes. To the, right, the I was just still friend in this podcast. That's right. I was trying to think of of ways to reach Phil, but you email <laughs> him, uh, tweet him, just show up at his apartment. He'd love that. Um, you and, know, by uh, the time people hear this podcast, there might not be a Twitter. That's so. that's a very good point. And uh, and society might rejoice. And it, it would be great somehow if if Twitter happens to disappear from existence. It would be fitting that it's on an MSU basketball game day, so we can get Tom Izzo talking about it in post game. He would be he would be thrilled. Uh, you know, I, somebody it might have been Ralph Russo who who wrote that you know that something to the extent of it would be you'd be healthier, probably happier without it, but you'd also miss it. You know, and like I, I feel that way. Like it's been it's it's benefited my career. It's also been unhealthy for me. So whatever happens to it, I will adjust, um, and uh, we'll 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 grow from there. Um, all right. So big week in uh, Michigan State basketball and football land let's start with hoops uh because michigan state's coming off a um, eye-opening win against kentucky and uh on their way to play uh villanova friday night we're recording this thursday night um i think you know the thing that is obviously stood out in these first two games and stood out again um because we really haven't done one one of these since the gonzaga game but it's yeah it's it's Mati Sissoko is the, is the early story just because that was such a a point of question like what are they going to be okay there and there's still some question behind Mati Sissoko but for 25 minutes one night nearly 35 the next with double overtimes he was um, more than just able to hold his own against two of the better big men he may face all year and so I. Uh, I think that is the storyline. He looks like a totally different player. He looks like the game has slowed down for him. He looks like he's uh, in control of himself defensively. He is not jittery with the ball in his hands. Um, he looks like a real big man and a really good one. And uh, I think Michigan State's very lucky that that development has happened the way it has. And it's been – someone asked me yesterday, did – Anything that Tom Izzo say coming into this season even remotely tip how well Sissoko would play? And I'd I'd say no. I mean, there's one thing about being confident about him becoming a a player within your rotation. It's another thing to to go out and nearly average a double-double against Gonzaga and Kentucky in two of your first three games. I mean – and I can't think – I'm trying in my brain to think of a player who has had such a mid-career, I, I guess, jump from basically you, you see him as an end-of-the-bench guy to being maybe the most important player in a rotation. I mean, you know, the big leaps that I can think of, one of them is Denzel Valentine between his sophomore and junior year. But, that again, he was in the playing group. He had. He's basically at that point was where AJ Hogard is this in is, a lot of ways. This is. And like, I, I was going to say this is kind of like if Edon Ebach became uh, Xavier Tillman. 
You know, like yeah, I mean, and, and Tillman was another one that I thought about too. But Tillman, his freshman year, went from kind of that fringe playing group becoming, you know, starting to become a blossoming guy by the Big Ten tournament. And again, that's his freshman year. I'm talking, we're talking two years of development. Two re- let's let's admit it though, two very odd years in terms of development from a guy that comes to this country doesn't know a lot gets thrust into a, in an area where he doesn't know anybody and then is shut off from the people who helped him come over here from Mali uh, that were in Utah when he was, you know, came into prep school. Um, you know, he, so, I, I think that, and I don't know if it is really even had a guy that's gone from, you know, just picking up the sport to this level. So, I mean, it's, it's I think, pretty I interesting think, watching this, but that's part of it, right? Is that for this sort of thing to happen, You've almost got to have these set of circumstances. You've got to have a guy whose his experience was limited. So yeah, he picked up the sport late. He gets injured as a senior in high school, so he barely plays. He shows yeah. up at Michigan State. You have a COVID year, so you don't have the usual even. Uh, almost forgot through. about the broken hand. Good point. Yeah. So like, so what? What? In, in hindsight, you can see how somebody who's played as little basketball as him and as athletic as he is with coaching and time could develop later than other guys do. And, and, and it makes some sense. The thing is, we just didn't have any evidence of it. There were a couple games last year where he had some moments where he went, oh, that's okay. That was decent. The Michigan, and, and, yeah. And, and, you know, and there were the, – the, the other thing that's interesting about that is this, I'm talking to Pierre Brooks after one of the games this year. He had mentioned, you know, he goes, just so different when you know you're going to play more than three minutes. Now, that didn't happen for him the other night. He played yeah. only about six or whatever. He, but looked, he looked a little frustrated by the end of it, too. He did. He did. And and, and I and, and Izzo said, you know, uh, we came back from Indy. There was availability right away. And Izzo said they've got to get Brooks playing. Brooks is a big part of the plan. So just in that game, they did what they had to do to win. And and the lineups they played, they I, I think, were the best lineups they could. But, um, but Brooks said something about it's just very different. Like, you don't get out there and you're not forcing things. You're not trying to impress. In a, so if you're Mati Sissoko, who's used to playing – two, three minutes in a row tops, and you're always trying to prove yourself or whatever, there's a different level of energy and anxiety. You know, and now he's he knows he's going to be getting a good run. He knows he's a key guy. He knows he can't foul because that's not his role anymore to foul. I mean, and so I, I think those are all interesting things. But still, to see a guy rim run like this, uh, we haven't even seen him be a great shot blocker. But yeah. it was funny. I was talking to Mike Ingram, the coach at Lansing Community College yesterday, and he was talking about Sissoko, and he just says as a coach – when you find out you have a big man, it is a great thing. Like just, I mean, I think a lot of people are are really in. Maybe, maybe the maybe a comparison is kind of what Marcus Bingham did in some ways. But he's pretty better at certain things than Bingham. Like he does not. He really- is. I think I'm just thinking of guys that kind of went from, you know, relative. I, I mean, I don't even know if Bingham would qualify for that because he didn't wasn't necessarily going from you know, mo- end of bench obscurity to being the most player, important player on a team. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not sure, like, there are very few guys that I can think of in Izzo's tenure who have kind of made that dramatic mid-career leap. I can't think of anybody. This, I can't think of anybody to this extent. And I think the other yeah, thing. To, to becoming the, the most important guy on a team. Yeah. yeah. From, and, and, not, and not, it's, this is like Draymond his freshman year. To Draymond his senior year, Draymond was an important part of his freshman year team. Yeah, no, this is this is this this feels this is different, and it, and it, and he's done it twice now against two consensus All Americans. Yeah, and so and and he's got another challenge 
uh, a little bit different challenge, but Villanova's got got good bigs. Two guys who are six eight, or you know, athletic. One one is a really um, well built dude who's who can create some problems and can get you in foul trouble. And and so it'll be it'll be interesting. He's got another challenge right right ahead. Um, I also think the, the the thing that I mean, Michigan State has a seasoned backcourt, and when you have two guards who have been in the system for a little while, and Tyson Walker looks as comfortable as he does, and Hogard even when he turns the ball over a little bit and gets a little bit out of control for the, he's also had moments where he is, he just takes over a game. He had a pass to Hauser in the corner where it's just like, he just gets downhill one hand whips it. I mean, it's just there those two guys. And I get that they're not NBA guys necessarily. And they're going to play against some guys who may be bigger prospects, but as college guards, they're not going to face a lot of guys who, who give them problems or better than them. Yeah. And you know, it, it's interesting because I do think there's some some Denzel Valentine comparisons to be made with where Hogard's at right now. I mean, it was H- Valentine's junior. I mean, his sophomore year, I can remember him trying to go on a break and put the ball behind his back and got it plucked in midcourt and stolen going back the other direction. Like it's those high risk, high high risk, you know, not sensible turnovers that Izzo's trying to to get ingrained in him that you cannot commit and what I thought was very interesting so Michigan State has 18 turnovers in regulation and five of them are by Hogard and they get to overtime Hogard slowed things down he wasn't trying to overplay things. He wasn't trying to do I asked him about it after the game and he's like, I wasn't trying to do too much. And you saw what happened. They didn't have a turnover in overtime. Now, granted, some of it was after he got hurt on that one play and went to the bench, um, Walker took over with the ball and there was no taking the ball out of Walker's hands at that point. Walker was just in that zone where he was feeling his shot. He was feeling the game around him. He sets up Sissoko in double overtime. He, he in single overtime, he draws Shibway's fifth foul. I mean, there were so many important things that Walker did yeah. that were just those kind of plays that maybe, you know, as a senior, you got a little more veteran savvy and experience with four years of college basketball that that Hogarth's kind of getting to that point right now. And I th- is as I think that that overtime could have been a very big page turner, maybe for Hogard to kind of understand what he can and can't do. And I think what was important about there are a couple of things that are important about that game. The overtime, the way they executed in key moments, like they looked like a team that was mad at themselves for what happened against Gonzaga, and show up against Kansas and make all the right plays on the stretch because they controlled the game against Gonzaga and didn't win it. They didn't control yeah. the game, not Kansas, sorry, Kentucky. They didn't control the game against Kentucky. And, and and but they made the plays at the at the end of regulation, the end of overtime, and then you're right. Walker gets Oscar in foul trouble or gets him fouled out, and then it's a little different in the second overtime. But, but more importantly, what they did was the same thing that they did towards the end of that game after they blew the lead against Gonzaga, is that they were still there punching and fighting. It wasn't like they just went and hid. It wasn't like they gave up a big run and they're all of a sudden finding themselves 15 down. They were right there the whole way showing some grit, toughness, competitive. There was a, there was a, a, maybe one of the quietest important moments was remember when Jackson Kohler dove on the floor after a loose ball. 
Yeah, no, he looked better. I mean, there was there were moments, yep. little moments like that, and I even think it is as rough a sequence as Carson Cooper had at that one point. Is a pulled brought pulled him to the bench, brought him back out, and showed some trust in him, and he had a couple of minutes of of serviceable basketball against the nation's top almost big man. Yeah, but but I, I, your point is 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 taken. Like Kohler was better than he was against Gonzaga against Kentucky. Yeah. Now, if you had to play him, like, and, and they also learned from Sissoko's third foul, they kept Sissoko on the bench longer. They dealt with it there because they wanted him late in the game. They wanted him, and what turned out, they needed him in overtime. And and Kohler had one real nice play where he sealed off and kept the ball from coming into the post. He had that nice dive on the floor. Cooper had a rougher game. But, you know, that was Cooper's debut. And Kohler looked like a guy – I mean, Kohler looks like a guy who's like, okay, this is re- – I mean, these guys need these experiences to realize this is where I've got to get to. Because Michigan State, by the end of the year, you know, look, there are going to be some better teams than Michigan State talent-wise, pound for pound. But Michigan State's got the guards, and they've got the shooters on the right day, and they've got one big man. You can only play five guys at once anyway that – if the things break right, they could be a difficult out in the NCAA tournament. And so, but for that to happen, when they start playing teams with big men, as you get into that thing, they Cooper and and Kohler, those guys have to be able to play 10 to 15 serviceable minutes and not have them get killed. And they've got basically three months to get there. And it starts with games like this. Um, and uh, and let, let's talk a little Joey Hauser. I here. like, though, that you forgot about the Northern Arizona game they played in. And, and honestly, it, it, yeah. it's kind of funny that you did because the, you know, Friday and Tuesday were such titanic games for this program that it's easy to forget that. I mean, it, and it, and quite honestly, you, you kind of almost have to forget it because everything changed with that 12 point lead being there in the second half against Gonzaga for this team. I think that the expectations have grown considerably. And, and by the way, we also haven't talked about Joey Hauser. That's, yeah, that's what I wanted to get into. Hauser. Yeah. Like, so Hauser to me, and um, like I, I, somebody asked me for like a, a bold hot take. And, and I said, Joey Hauser could lead this team and score. I, I wrote that too. I yeah, actually like, wrote that in mind. And yeah. so, and obviously, yeah, and then he has the really bad game on the ship and everybody's going, you're a fool. But what my point was this. And, and first of all, he got in foul trouble. It was cold. It was, there's wind, all that stuff. And I'm not yeah, saying Joey two of his Hauser. five shots were blocked. Let's uh, he, he wanted to blame the wind all he wants, but when but, two of his not, five shots are blocked, something's up. I'm not saying Joey Hauser is going to be a 20 point score every night, but what I do think is we just saw this. We've seen it now twice, but especially we just saw it against Kentucky, where especially when they're using him off screens the way they are, and he just looked like he was hunting shots. And he looks confident. He has the ability to score 20 plus, and because of that, he's going to have some games where he scores seven, eight, nine. But there's nobody on this team because it's such a shared offense, and there's nobody on this team who's going to constantly be in the teens scoring regularly to the point that I think Hauser on, a, on an average level has a chance to be above everybody else. But I think it was really important because A, as a, as a shooter, they need his shooting. They need his confidence because he does a lot of other things on the court that you notice. And, and the other thing I thought Izzo did a nice job of, they didn't put him at center. Yep. And that really messes with his head. It messes with his head when he's got to defend somebody like that and he's getting beaten up. He was having a great game. You let the young – he's not going to do any better. I mean, he might do a little better than Cooper did, but he's not going to do much better than Kohler did at the five in that situation. So let let those young guys take their lumps. Let Hauser keep playing well. 
And I, and I thought that really worked. He rebounded well. He defended pretty well. Leave him at the four. And he and Malik Hall played pretty well together, which we had, you know, which which was it, interesting. What was interesting was when they did need another guy to go over on Shibway, it was Hall. Remember, Hall took that elbow in the face. It wasn't yeah. Hauser. So you're able to keep Hauser in that rhythm. Um, he was coming off screens. I think, you know, obviously the, it, 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 the, he's such a polarizing guy to the fan base right now um, that, like, during that game against Gonzaga, I just posted his final numbers after he fouled out, and it just turns into a storm, right? I post after his first shot gets stuck between the rim and the backboard. First shot gets stuck between. And it's just like you could just put, you know, vanilla – flatline facts out there and people are going to react to it just because of what Hauser has done but he's so much more comfortable and relaxed I think just kind of being around him here the last couple weeks that he was last year that he was the year before especially um I I think that it, it the most important thing that happened in that Kentucky game for him was that he showed the ability to put a game, a really bad game behind him immediately, especially against quality competition, because that's the kind of thing that, you know, as a, he's a fifth year guy. Yeah. Technically he's a fifth year guy after showing up for a half season at Marquette when he was hurt. And, you know, which by the way, he could still petition if he wanted to for another year. I would be stunned. He, he feels I would like, as well. I think that he's this. I mean, I think he's gotten to the point where unless he's got some sort of graduate degree in mind that he's almost done with and wants to finish. Uh, yeah, but I think he's probably ready to go on play college ba- or play pro basketball somewhere. Right. And he but, sort of, and I think he was going to give up the sport at one point. And, and now is it? I've heard that too. And he's I'd heard, more like, I, I'd heard that going, you know, before last season. Right. He wasn't having and, a good time. And, you know, it's sort of like uh, uh, Xavier Henderson. I think he's found that joy, though, again. Yeah. Like Xavier Henderson said Tuesday, he was asked about, like, it was probably actually me because I've been wondering about this. Uh, (laughs) But it was, uh, you know, if he had not come back after the injury this year, he could have played another year. So, basically, as soon as he played more than four games this year, he he gave up that opportunity. Um, And I said, was that ever a thought? You know, you, you came back for the NFL. Did you think about, let's try to put a healthy season together? He just goes, man. The sixth year, I couldn't do that. I'm ready to be out of here. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, you've been some of these guys have just been around long enough. Now, some of these other guys, though, you know, we, we talk about the idea of a two year group and the the, the 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 class they have coming in, and there are guys who are going to have those sort of decisions to make. Malik Hall, Tyson Walker, you yeah. know, as as other guards come in, is 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 what how much fun they're having, whether it fits, you know, um, you know, there's lots of their guys who are going to have that decision. And and the thing about Michigan State's roster construction that's really good from a college basketball standpoint is when you don't have a lot of surefire pros, these guys don't have a long way. To, like, uh, you know, people are talking about the idea of Sissoko could be an NBA guy, maybe, but he's also like six eight, six nine ish. Like yeah. he is not, um, and he's bouncy. I get that, but uh, you know, there's a long way to go for that. So he's not an early early go guy, and so you're not going to lose guys. And and I. He's got that wingspan though that he does that teams love. And if you put this too, this will this is going to be an interesting thing that starts to come on fans because you know Kofi uh, Coburn at Illinois chose to leave even though people say he had a pretty sizable NIL opportunity. Hunter Dickinson chose to come back. Like big men are not wanted in the NBA. Little guy, I mean, there are going to be guys that in college basketball from now on, especially with this COVID years out there that have the opportunity to return and whether it makes sense for them, it's going to be partly up to a fan base and a donor base. 
And, you know, if you want another year out of Tyson Walker, you can pay him more than he's going to get in Europe. You, you, you know, if you want another year out of Malik Hall, you can pay him more than he's going to get in Europe. And if you don't and you lose him and you lose, that's going to, it's going to be sort of directly on this donor and fan base to create the roster you want by creating the financial opportunities uh, that, when you want a certain player. That's going to be interesting down the road. I don't know why I just went off on that tangent. but I, I, maybe, I, maybe, though, because – but here's the thing. If it, it still doesn't matter if you got to go to classes. If you, if you are just done going to classes – but if you get the price just if you just want to play basketball and focus on that at that point in your life after spending five years on campus or four years on campus True. whatever it might be I mean honestly that it, I mean a, a guy like Marcus Bingham you know he has his degree yeah. could he have come back and improved his stock and everything else yeah maybe but some guys just some guys get through that and they're just like, you know what? I need a break from school and I just want to see where basketball can take me. Or you're not going to get where, where football can take me or any right. sport at that point. You know? You're not going to get any better at a certain point, too. Some guys are like, this is what they're going to be in college. They've done what they can. It's why Xavier Tillman was going to have to go, you know, even though he had another year, is because at the college level, would have had two years. Well, yeah, with COVID, he would have, we didn't know that at the time, obviously. Yeah. But, um, but either way, at the college level, like that last month he put together, oh yeah, he had done everything you could. Like it's like what what what, what are you going to come shut down Lamar Stevens again next year? Like he, he kind of did it. Okay, let's see what you're. Also, don't is. don't don't neglect the fact that he had two kids and no nil at that uh, point. That's a very good point. Yeah, no, he would have. He and Cassius Winston would have done well if they, <laughs> they had been able to stick around and done so. I think there would have been money. Uh, yeah, money the, well, the sad not. thing is Winston wouldn't have been able to stick. Well, around. that's a good point. That's a good you know, point. Because he was a senior that year and Tillman was a junior. So that well, but, was, didn't they, but they gave all those guys. Didn't didn't they give everybody well, who was involved that year? Was the seniors year? that year did not get an extra year. Oh, you're I right. Think the, you're right. I, I believe the spring sport athletes like baseball. That's right. Softball That's right. got it, but not not the not the athletes whose season ended before really? the NCAA tournament, like hockey and base and basket men's and women's basketball. Interesting. I thought it was the other way, but yeah, my memory at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's, and that's kind of the sad thing because Cassius could have, if, if Cassius would have been allowed to come back, you wonder, well, man, right. what would that a 2020 team been like if he comes back, even if Tillman's not there, you know, Cassius was just a different kind of guy that could get those guys doing some things differently. But at the same point, you know, what was special about that group was the connection that Winston and Tillman had on that pick and roll that you aren't going to see better, more guys. That no, but you see, to, to, like to, to circle it back, one of the things Sissoko does real well, and, and he did it well with uh, late. He did it real well. With Tyson Walker, yeah. he's, done it, he's done it really well with Hogard at this point. And Hogard will yell at him, Matty, and you know, come up and, 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 and they do it. And, and, and it, it, they're just really efficient at it together. And there was another, actually, like they had the two lobs with Walker and, and Sissoko. And there was a third one on the left side where Walker decides to drive the lane and they almost collided with each other and brought defenders together there that Walker got fouled on. And if they would, if he would have just pulled it back out and lobbed it up, he could have had another one. Um, so that you're right. I think that could be, I mean, could it be as good as Winston and Tillman, you know, with either Walker and Sissoko or Hogarth and Sissoko maybe, but what made that, it, and and you know Hogard's got to be able to finish better again. You know, I mean he finished. He was I think he was one of seven in that game. Um, 
you know, he struggled taking the ball, trying to take the ball in against those more athletic, bigger guards that Kentucky has and they're big men. And he, he got a couple stuffed. So, I mean, there were, you know, he had, I think the one bucket was a real nice drive, but that's, I mean, what makes that pick and roll so good and is the ability to be what Cassius was. He could pull, he could come off the pick and hit a jumper. He could take you North and South. He could get the lob to Tillman or he could finish in, in the paint. That's, they got to get that from the guards when when they do that with Sissoko. And same with Tillman on the other side. Tillman could hit that elbow jumper off, yeah. the, off the screen, which is we've yet to see Sissoko be able to do that yet. The um, I want to get to some football here. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Hoop flies a little bit on Nova. Interesting game Friday night just in the sense that they're – Nova's not as their Nova's guards are not what they've been, right? And and it'll be and Michigan State for the first time is going to be, um, you know, they've been hungry, looking like a team that's hunting to prove something, even in their opener. And you wondered they've sort of proven something. So the question now becomes, are they going to consistently play with that edge? This looks like a team that might, but not you know that's not a given. And I don't think this team's good enough not to play with that edge. So we'll, we'll see if they come out. I think their backcourt's better than Villanova's. Villanova certainly got the forwards and, and the, the wings to beat Michigan State. They lost to Temple. I know that. This is early college basketball, though Michigan State's margin for error is not that big. It's going to be a very interesting night at Breslin. Yeah, they they also they beat LaSalle. I mean, obviously, no Jay Wright, so it's yeah. a transitionary phase in, in Villanova basketball with Kyle Neptune. Um, but at the same point, um, they got taken to the wire by, and, and I don't, you know, those, those Philly schools, when they play each other, you know, we, we kind of don't understand that Brendan Quinn can understand that a lot more, but there's, there's some bloodlust between those Philly schools. So I wouldn't necessarily take that. I mean, that temple game, you know, that, that was an important game for temple. That was, was on the road on the road too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah. um, you know, I think this is an interesting thing, just like you said, I mean, now Michigan States goes from two games where they are hunting for big things to now looking like they're going to, I mean, I think they're in the top 25 of the coaches poll yeah. right now at number 25 and looking to shoot up quite a bit, which would now make them the hunted for Villanova. That's trying to get back into the poll. So, um, you know, how are they going to play at home? Is they're going to be their only home game this month because now they go to Portland after it and then they got to play at Notre Dame. Um, you know how do they how do they play in front of the fan base here? Well, they, I mean, they did that. They've done it once. So the opener was home. I mean, it wasn't this. Well, you know what I mean. It, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, since the opener. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's a different. Oh. It's a different vibe now, though, for this team. Right now, oh. they're they're the hot thing on campus. Oh. You know, it, 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 when they when it was Northern Arizona coming in, when it was the Grand Valley game. You know, Breslin wasn't full. I mean, there were there were fewer people there than than most years, and and it you know it, it was okay crowd not a great crowd but an okay crowd i mean kind of what you would expect for a northern arizona game now you got a marquee game although we're getting the weather here we'll see we'll, we'll see what, what, what people are I, able to come in later yeah, I, you know i think that's going to be more of an effect for football yeah because um, i really think that's going to be interesting we can segue into football well, let's, but let's I do, do that think, let's do I that think, i think people i think the, i think this is going to be the hottest ticket of the weekend in, in, in maybe of until Big Ten play starts um, for this uh, this crowd. I agree. I agree. The um, all right. Let's go. Fo- let's talk some football here. The um, you know Michigan State gets Indiana noon game, second straight noon game, um, and it is going to be cold. 
and it is going to be like in the uh like 20s cold and you know it's a noon game yeah but the reason i think that's hard for people i don't know if it'll be harder than last week or not because last week people went from 73 degrees on thursday to 39 and that's a that's a nasty fall when we're just the fall really hasn't eased us into that it's been so nice and then you get 26 like it's 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 a hard like if you've had a really cold november you can bundle up and kind of deal with it I, i think this this is a this is a harder um harder adjustment it'll also be interesting how it affects the game it affects the kicking game it affects how every hit hurts it affects catching yeah. the ball like you got to really want it to win this game and this is where i think msu has an advantage msu's trajectory of its season is, is is a little up and they're playing for something and they're um they're going to be a senior day for people and i think th- they want to have a good showing and i think and it's not that indiana doesn't want a good showing indiana's lost seven straight if if michigan state can get off to a decent start where things go wrong for indiana early how badly does indiana really want to be out there playing and that that is that is my question because I don't and because Indiana's got some real problems offensively. I would tell people probably bet the under. Uh, Indiana's yeah. uh, offensive line is miserable. They, they don't know which quarterback they're going to start yet or haven't. Uh, I think they, I think they're going to start the Williams kid. Probably, it, seems, probably. it seems like that's the way they're going. Makes sense. And and he, you know, but so and, and 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 so maybe he'll give them some juice. They don't have the receiver like in the last couple of years. They've had amazing receivers. They don't really have the caliber receivers they have. They don't have the punch on offense and defensively. That you know they had an unbelievable linebacker a year ago. They don't have that. They're they're an okay team, and and we saw them play with Michigan for a half early on. They beat Illinois when they had some something behind them, but it, the wheels have come off a little bit. So yeah, I think I wouldn't call them an okay team. I mean they are one of the worst teams. They're well, probably now, one of the worst power five teams right now in college football. I mean you're talking about a team that. And over the course of the season, I mean, they rank like in the hundreds in almost every category on both sides of the ball. Can't I mean, run the ball, can't do a lot of things. Now, the, thing run the, ball, thing was, the only thing they can do is throw the ball. But it wasn't <laughs> always this way because obviously they were they were tied with Michigan at the half. They were they beat Illinois. Like I, I think there's enough sort of in the trenches talent on the roster, enough talent throughout the roster still that Michigan State, and we've seen this from Michigan State. Michigan State's not good enough to overwhelm anybody. Um, I think Michigan State's got more talent. They haven't had a lot of games where they can honestly say that easily. But um, this this will be – like this is a game where if you lose it, it really will stick with you because you got a chance to go to a bowl game. You're you're a 10.5-point favorite. You're the, you're the team with things going for you, and it hasn't been that way all season. Playing a team that's lost seven – you cannot lose this game at home if you're Michigan State. You know, one of the craziest things that, you know, we, we talk about all these things all season. My my favorite stat going into this game, um, MSU ranks 129th out of 131 FPS teams at 25 minutes and 13 seconds of possession time. Yeah. Indiana's last. So you actually have the edge in time of possession on Indiana. Someone's going to have to have the ball for more than 30 minutes in this game. This is going to be punting. Nobody's going mean, to technically have it. It really is. I mean, you know, that – and, and Indiana last year, with as good as MSU was, played them toe to toe. It was a twenty to fifteen game down there, um, and they had. A, and it's a team that you know they they're more of a spread. They they like to throw the ball around, but they had a thirty three to twenty thirty three and a half to twenty six and a half minute advantage on the at home in that game. So, you know, and that I don't that team like, like you said was a little better and. I feel like there was still some, you know, will Penix play, won't Penix play in that game? And then they brought in Tuttle. I think, you know, maybe, maybe 
Dexter Williams can be like – it seems like Indiana always has their quarterbacks hurt when they're getting ready to play Michigan State because I feel like the 2019 game, there was some if they – you know, some questions of whether Penix would play and or they were pe- preparing for someone else and Penix came in and his dual threat ability nearly won that game for Indiana. Um, so I, I, I'm curious to see how that works because if – if the I mean, I'm sure they're preparing for the Williams kid – and and his ability to run, um, you know, he he gave Penn State a little bit of fits in that game. Um, he did some things against Ohio State. Um, so there's that's I think the one thing that if you're Indiana, you might see that and be like, okay, well maybe we have a chance. And if you look at the per play yardage, like Michigan State, it, it's not just the Ohio State game. Like Ohio State skews everybody's stats, right? But like, you know, Michigan State was giving up to Maryland, Minnesota, and. Um, Washington, three straight games, like 6.5 yards of play, 6.9, 6. Point whatever. It was in that range. And recently, Madison or against Wisconsin, it was uh, 4.5. It's been in the, in the low fives, that range. You know, like they've gotten the, the noticeably better uh, defensively. And they're now playing a team that um, I think is the weakest offensive team that they've played. In well, the teams have attacked them differently, too, though. Teams yeah. have been trying to run. The, I mean, they've. They've used their run game. I mean, they've given up, I think, seven, six straight or seven straight 100-yard rushing games. Yeah. Um, I, Indiana's going to be hard-pressed to to keep that streak going, I think, just because they've struggled to run the ball so much, which, again, this is, you know, two teams that struggle to run the ball. All of a sudden, you put them in cold weather and possibly snow. That's going to be a fun one. I mean yeah. – you know, I mean, it, it's something's got to give with between that and the time of possession. Yeah, Michigan State's been running the ball pretty well the last couple of weeks. They got to keep doing that. The offensive line's had a little juice. That's got to keep happening. Uh, it changes everything for them. You know, Those are, uh, they're still in Big Ten play. They're the two worst run offenses. No doubt, no doubt. Michigan State's like not... in Michigan State. I think is in the eighties for yeah. for team rushing in the Big Ten and just in Big Ten games. Indiana's averaging, I think, twenty three yards less. So like around twenty. Four or sixty-four yards or something like that on the ground, which is that I mean that's not Big Ten football. Yeah, I mean that you got if you if you're Indiana and you're seeing this now for the second straight year, you have to wonder about Tom Allen's job security. So I was talking to our, our friend uh, Zach Osterman down at Indy Star about that. He he thinks that not this year, just because of the two years he had at one point and just how few great years Indiana's had, but like. This will put pressure next year. I mean, you also have to look and see what Michael Penix has done out at Washington, and say, well, why weren't you? What what happened that you weren't able to keep him in? I think I think Tom Allen's buyout is also uh, that's so always always one of those things that yeah you gotta be you gotta be careful that stuff, and and that's why you don't want to overpay somebody you're not sure about. And uh, Michigan State fans, who knows, at some point could could be in that. Well, the uh, it's an earlier different process, and Michigan State's got different finances than Indiana does because it's, it's more of a football school, so that it's not going to be in that position yeah. the same way. Um, By the way, everybody's a football school with the, the TV contracts now. Well, yeah, so absolutely. You gotta, you, it just you helps it, keep it that helps in mind. But, yeah, um, one hundred and fifteenth, one hundred fifteenth out of one hundred thirty-one rushing offense for MSU at one hundred nine yards or so a game. 127th out of 131 for Indiana. So I mean, you know, there's they they're averaging like 86 yards a game on the ground. So I mean, there's you know something has to give with this. 
Yeah, no, it, it, look, it, Michigan State, it, it may not be pretty. It wasn't pretty last week. That was a game where, you know, Michigan State was a little bit better than Rutgers. And it, it, and ultimately what Michigan State did last week that was, I think, a good sign is they did the little things that they haven't been doing. They made two field goals in a six-point game, including yes. a 48-yarder. That, so that whole operation was better. They didn't turn, you know, they weren't the turnover team. They were the team. They didn't make the mistakes that Rutgers made. And ultimately – that's sometimes before you have the talent to separate yourself. What's and that is what separates winning and losing teams, and is is just those little details. And last year, Michigan State did a lot of those details right for a long time. They haven't always this year. They they've got more experience. They've gotten as the years going on. They've gotten Xavier Henderson back, which has made a big deal. Jacob Slade, um, Henderson even said I asked him this week about. You know, the point about when you come back for a sixth year just because the whole idea of coming back was improve your NFL stock. And he said, you know, one of the things I'm hoping is that NFL teams will also notice. I mean, obviously, he'll hopefully be healthy by the time he goes to the combine and stuff. But, like, he's hoping NFL teams notice the difference in their defense when he's not on the field. And they will. And the communication standpoint and all that stuff. And, and give you know why I know they will? Because opposing coaches have noticed that and, and mentioned that. I think that's kind of a big. It's always a telltale sign when when other teams are doing their scouting and they say these guys, him and Slade in particular, made an impact. Yeah. Uh, that Michigan, you can't look at the first, you know, those four, three, four games where they were out because now they're playing differently. There, I mean, they're able to do different things. That I mean, it was interesting seeing Scotty Hazelton go into a dime package last week with with Henderson, at, it you know, kind of the present and outgoing guy right next to Malik Spencer, who seems like he's going to be the next wave guy at that safety spot. They ran that that dime package with those two guys at the linebacker spot and Jaden Mangum and Kendall Brooks behind them. And that's that that's a pretty marked change from what we saw in those first few weeks and really in the first few years under Mel Tucker. I mean, that's he wants to be able to do that. He wants I mean, that's what he talked about. From the time he was hired, he wanted to play multiple defenses, and now you're able to blend some four-two-five. You're able to blend some that which with the nickel. You're able to use some four-three, and now you're able to drop some dime in there. I mean, it's the ability to mix looks has changed how opponents have to scout them as much as Henderson and Slade coming back. It's um, the last few weeks the way the offensive lines played. The way that they've got some other help in the back end, I think, is 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 changed my outlook a little bit for la- for next year. Where I thought at one point, like this could this could keep being really bad, and this could be trouble for Mel to get through. Before, you know, we'll see what these recruiting classes wind up. I still think, like, I still think these next two recruiting classes were him on the heels of a pretty good one last year. But these next two are going to be are going to tell his story at Michigan State largely. Like, if he can, you know, if he's going to be able to elevate the talent and and really compete at a high level. Because it was around the third year when the guys that D'Antonio started to bring in were the ones that kind of yeah. got them to that 2010 year. I mean, as, as you know, you had that first class with Cousins and you had some, you know, Mark Dell and you had those guys. But, you know, it was the next, it was when you got the William Golstons that yeah. really kind of elevated you into a Big Ten title contender again on the regular. Um, you, so you're right. That's kind of about that point where Mel Tucker's recruits have to kind of start popping. And I think you're starting – Brandon Baldwin has looked really good at left tackle. Yep. I mean, it makes you wonder, 
you know, what, why he wasn't able to supplant Jarrett Horse before that. Well, the uh, true, but true freshman, his true freshman first real class is now. It, yeah, uh, you're seeing a lot of those guys on the defensive side. So, but yeah, so like when those guys, like I really think 2025 is the first year. Not that it's fair to judge him. You should see improvement. But what I'm saying is, if you want them to compete with Ohio State, 2025 is the first year that, based on the salary, based on the sort of the, the promises made that what he's trying to do, you can judge him. Because that year, his first real recruiting class that's true freshmen now will be seniors and redshirt juniors. His second one will be sophomores and juniors. You know what I mean? Everybody, his first three real classes. That first class has already been decimated. It's not like there's a lot of guys that are going to no, be. No, I'm not talking about 2020. I'm talking 21. His first real class is freshman I'm now. Saying, even from the 21 class, they've lost guys. You they know? have lost guys. But it's a better class than 20. Um, 20 was a, you know, because 20 wasn't really. Uh, or, well, sorry, better class than 21. What, what are yeah, we it was the 21 class. I mean, the yeah. 20 class that came in in 20 was D'Antonio's. D'Antonio's class, right. You know, so I mean, yeah. you know, the, but the twenty-one class is the one that we're talking about, where most of the guys were gone, right? Um, you know, but, the 20, those, but a good amount, a, a decent amount of those guys, compared to where they should be this early in their career, are gone. Like guys like Cameron Allen and Donovan Eaglin, guys who were recruited on Zoom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a hard thing. So, but but what I mean is the twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four class. Those are the three classes. So the twenty-two. Class when those guys are redshirt juniors and seniors, and then the twenty-three class are redshirt sophomores and juniors, and the twenty-four class are redshirt freshmen and sophomores. That to me is the first time he will have had enough time and enough real recruiting classes to permeate the program that you can say, "Is this going to happen or not?" I think, and, and that's my my kid will be in middle school at that point. I don't want to think that far ahead, quite he, honestly. He I think. And I think I think quite honestly, if you'd ask Mel Tucker, um, you know, just reading some of the stuff that he had told, um, you know, a, a couple people on the national publications about being an African-American coach and feeling the need to win now. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that he feels like he can wait that long. No, but but he's got. And, and as we've seen, as we've seen this this fall, there's a lot of pressure that I think comes from being a black head coach. More than we'll understand, um, even as as connected and as observers as we are, um, because I feel like a lot of that, a lot of the things that we've seen this season, um, let's just take the Michigan incident out of it. Okay, the there were Michigan State fans with with pitchforks and torches out for this staff, maybe not Mel Tucker, but from the staff standpoint, and there were people that were you know, saying that he didn't get it. I mean, but those people don't matter. You, you've also what seen what matters is the donor base. What's that? What matters is the donor base and the athletic director. And those people are firmly in his camp. And so as long as you've got that, what, 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 you know, yeah, I do only, I think to a certain extent, I, right. I think you they're, they're they're gonna it, it still matters. It, the bodies in the seats still matter. Totally. But they're going to give And if time. you, if you have the product that they were putting out there at the beginning of the season, when he called himself a horse bleed coach, um, that then you're not going to have the bodies in the seats, and then you'd lose that support. No and doubt. Continue, you know, you're, Tom Allen's going to see that down at Indiana, but Tom Allen also, let's say it what it is, you know, he's a white coach in a very white area. Mel Tucker is a black coach who got a lot of heat, I think some of it unjustly because he was a black head coach. And he, you know, I think that he is – 
keenly aware of that. And so when we start talking about that far out in 24, 25, I, I think that he understands and feels the importance to do this and do this now. And I think this give, I give him a lot of credit and I give Scotty Hazleton a lot of credit and, but, but particularly Tucker, he basically told Hazleton, we got to do this now. We got to start getting these young guys in there. You start seeing Malik Spencer and Jaden Mangum and more of the freshmen on defense. You start seeing them go exotic coverages that they hadn't used over the last few weeks when that losing streak was there. They start to break out to 4-3. Um, I think a lot of that is stuff where he realizes and, and, you know, where he's internalizing it and has said that, you know, we need to show this. We need to show this now because I think it, you know, it changed the dynamic of this season. And I think they've, I mean, listen, this if, if they can go to Penn State, if they can win this weekend, which I think is the most important game on this schedule right now, which is coach speak, I get. But if they lose, there's more, there's more that this program can lose in losing this game than winning it. If you, if you see what I'm saying, because Indiana is so down. So, but then if they can go to Penn State and pull off another upset like they did at Illinois, and James Franklin has proven over time that end of game situations, if it's tight, you can beat him. All of a sudden, you're looking at a seven-win team with a chance to go to a bowl game and win eight, which many years in Michigan State would have been an unbelievable season, right? And because the bar was set with D'Antonio, and really Tucker reset the bar for himself last year with an 11-win season, um, it may feel like a letdown, but if they're able to come back all the way and and get to that, somehow get to eight wins, that's a tremendous coaching win for Mel Tucker and a really – important momentum shift maybe even more of a more a momentum shift from the 11 win season last year into next season so to me a couple things on this one anybody who's like if people are impatient enough to force him out before 2025 or make him then you're never going to win at michigan state i'm just going to tell you that right now because because the the any coach would have come into this year and struggled the people have to recognize the 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 bizarre dynamic. This is where D'Antonio leaving in February, and yeah. that that 2020 class. The, see, coaches usually get that first class. You're selling the dream. There's nothing anybody can. The first class is usually pretty good, and that would have been pre-pandemic. Well, look, look at Shiano. Shiano was able to. He was hired in December of that year. Yep. Was able to build his own class going into that. 2020. Totally. And so, and so you you go instead. You get D'Antonio's maybe weakest class, and now that's your first class, sort of. Because they didn't ever play for D'Antonio. And then you get the COVID year. And people are just going to have to deal with it. It's not ideal, but it is what it is. And I do think what's most important and what changes momentum entirely is, so say, as important as the Indiana game is, as important as a bowl game is, as important as all that stuff is, if they go five and seven, but they sign 16 four-star recruits, nobody cares. That matters more. Like that's where now it may get harder to do that. But what I'm saying is, for for Mel Tucker in the in the here and now, what's still so much more important, and I think is because that's what people really, the reason people are so intrigued by him. Can he elevate the recruiting to places D'Antonio couldn't? I don't. I mean, D'Antonio. I think everybody agrees maximized who they could kind of be for a while. And then he, they took a swing at trying to recruit a different kind of kid, and that wound up being a, a disastrous year. But like, I think if they get eight wins somehow, that absolutely. Is, shows an impact for those those recruits they're trying to get. No, sure, seven. You know, and 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 we'll see. December is going to be a wildly fascinating year with with 
the NIL everywhere and 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 the flips and, and the type of kids they're going after and the schools that are going to be coming after those kids that are that are bigger names and and all that stuff. Let's uh, before we go, let's do our our predictions. What do you have for Indiana, Michigan State? Well, like I said, I think this is going to be decided by particularly because of the weather by which of these teams can show that they can run the ball. I mean, Michigan State's been the one that has over the last few weeks shown that it it has that capability to do that. And I think I've kind of got them. And I think with senior day and the other thing, I think when we talk about the little details of, of these kind of games, particularly when you start seeing temperatures drop and, and the conditions getting a little bit dicey is remember they played against Penn state last year at home in the same type in, in a similar situation with the snow globe and won that game and did things they needed. And I think this team has the ability to do that with particularly with how much they've run the ball right now. I've, I've got them winning 31 to 14, which might still be a little bit high on that based on how the conditions go. But um, Indiana also is, I think that bad. Yeah. I've got the same for Indiana. I've got 23, 14. Um, and uh, I, it's just one field goal. There's a miss extra point in there for Michigan state. Um, the, uh, and <laughs> I, I am intrigued to see this game a little bit um, to see if Michigan state as a, is the better team again, can, you know, begin to get to a point where it can put its foot on somebody's throat a little bit and, uh, and play like the better team and play out front. And I think that helped them last week playing from out in front. Um, and so we'll see if, we'll see if they can do that. Um, we'll have complete coverage of that. Well, game. What do you have for, what do you have for hoops before we take oh, off? Yeah, too? Yeah. What did I put? Um, I have Michigan State winning by six, I think. I, I had like 70, might have been, uh, 70 to 64, maybe. I think it was the score I had, something in that not, range. Not too far. I have, I have Michigan State winning by 12, 74 to 62. Uh, I just think their defense has played so well. That... The defense has been the one. The defense is elite right now. The way they're playing, yeah. they played elite, I should say. And Izzo knows it. Like he, he's, he's said, you know, they're not very good right now in certain ways. Offensively, they're still just a work in progress. But defensively, it's become a, a calling card for him. So complete coverage at freep.com, lsj.com, greenandwhite.com uh, of, of the games Friday night and, and Saturday, uh, of course, be a quick turnaround, be a, be a, a fun weekend over uh, East Lansing. Spartan Speak is a production of the USA Today Network, the Detroit Free Press, and Lansing State Journal. Uh, if you like what you hear, you can always subscribe. If you don't, throw a tomato at us next time you see us. Not just, just Chris, not me, please. Um, yeah. And um, we, will, uh, we will talk to you uh, probably early next week before we get into the holiday. And yep. uh, Graham will be heading to Portland. I'll be heading to Pennsylvania. Different. We're we're going to be both places in different ways. So it'll be. We'll have you covered. So yep. um, yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for listening.